Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Invite us to step in. Firstly, to step into His love, but secondly, to step into purpose and spoke about those two elements at length last week, and the message should be available on our podcast, on whichever your favorite podcasting platform is. You should be able to find it there. Um, But I want us for just a moment today to step away from all of that need for direction and for purpose and take a moment just to stand still and to look at Jesus again, to remind ourselves that at the end of the day, Jesus is our purpose, and I guess at the start of the day as well. That following Jesus is not about an ideology, it's not only about a worldview, it's not about a way of thinking, it's not about the stuff we do. Those are all outflows of the fact that we are following a person, not a human, but somebody with a personality, a real, living, alive individual, and looking to Him and Following Him and all of the things we do flow out of knowing Him and loving Him. And so for today, I want us just to take a moment to just cast our eyes upon Jesus again. We see a great example of somebody who had, a, I guess, a similar type of need, a desire. In John chapter 3, his name is Nicodemus, and it's a well-known passage, and most of us who have been following Jesus for a while have probably heard this passage a number of times, read this passage, had people preach on this passage, but it remains true for us as we read these words again. So there was a man named Nicodemus. He was a Jewish religious leader, and he was a Pharisee. A Pharisee was a specific type of Jewish religious leader. He was part of sort of the core leadership team. He was trained in theology, and he comes to Jesus after dark one evening. A lot of scholars believe that he came after dark. He came at night because he didn't want to be seen coming to Jesus. And sometimes we come to Jesus with a little bit of pride in our hearts. And he didn't want other people necessarily to see that as a Jewish leader, he was coming to Jesus. And he said, Rabbi, which means teacher, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. There is no denying Jesus that you are different. So here is this Jewish religious leader, and he comes at night, but he comes with a a humility in his heart. He comes with a willingness to say, Jesus, you're obviously different. You're not like the other teachers we've had. You are not like the other leaders we had. You have their signs and wonders that follow you. It is obvious that you are sent from God. And I love how he says that we know that God has sent you to teach us. I'm assuming you're sitting here today because there's something of that that registers in your heart that I know that God has sent Jesus to teach me. I guess the next question that pops up out of that always that we need to wrestle with is, are we willing to learn? Are we willing to learn from Jesus? I was watching a series in the week, and um, the one guy gets up to pray in the series. It's a very secular series, and 
he prays and they cattle farmers and he says, Lord, give us rain and good weather and we'll do the rest. And isn't that how so often we approach so much of our lives? We're like, Jesus, we know how to do a whole bunch of stuff. There's some stuff that we can't do, Jesus. Will you do that and we'll do the rest? And here Jesus comes and Nicodemus begins to touch on this a little bit. But Jesus, won't you teach us to do even the things we think we can do? So Jesus, not give us rain and we'll do the rest. Yes, we'll work. Yes, we'll labor. Yes, we'll do what needed to be done. But Jesus, come and teach us everything. That which I think, I know. if I'm an engineer, Jesus, would you come and teach me to do engineering? Jesus, I'm a doctor, maybe a specialist. I've spent what feels like my whole adult life studying, but will you come and teach me how to be a doctor? Jesus, I'm a financier. Will you come and teach me to finance? Jesus, I'm a student. That's an easy one. Jesus, come and teach me to study. We're good at praying when we're students, especially when you're walking into the exam room. I remember when I was a student, they taught us, they said, it's quite simple. You study like you don't know how to pray. And then you pray like you haven't studied. And between the two of those, God comes and he answers our prayers. But there's this man and he comes to Jesus and he comes with humility in his heart. And Jesus says to him, I tell you the truth. And just as a reminder, I think every time Jesus starts saying, I tell you the truth, it's not because he has a habit of not telling the truth at other times. But he's kind of emphasizing that this is something which is hard for us to believe. And he emphasizes, he reminds us that this is the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? And so often when we come to Jesus and we bring our questions before him, we ask him for answers. His answers don't make sense to us. His answers are different. His Answers don't fit into the nice paradigm that we've set out or the way the textbook says this must be done. Jesus views it from a different angle in a different way. I think a great example of this, Jakub spoke about this quite recently as well, where there's um, many, many years before this, the people of Israel were about to go into the promised land, this land that God had promised them. They'd been slaves in Egypt. They come out of Egypt, God opens the Red Sea, they walk through the Red Sea, these miracles happen all the time, and then they're about to go, and they go through the Jordan River again, and the river opens, and they walk through on dry land, and they're about to go and take the city called Jericho, which is the first city in the promised land that they need to conquer. And just before that, the leader, um, Joshua, sorry, hit a blank for a moment, Joshua, he's sort of wrestling and praying. He's like, we're going to go into war. We've never really been in war. We're just a bunch of slaves. And he's sort of wrestling through this, praying by himself, and he sees this big warrior person appear in front of him. And I can imagine in his heart, he's like, hey, this could be really good. If this guy is on our side, we've got a champion, and we're going to win. If he's against us, we're in trouble. And so he asks him, he says, are you for us or are you against us in this fight? And uh, what we know now from the wording that gets used, that, that was actually Jesus himself who appeared to Joshua. And Jesus' answer in that moment is so great. Jesus says, I'm not for you, I'm not against you. 
I am the commander of the armies of heaven. And so right there, it's an answer which probably doesn't make sense in the way that Joshua framed it, but it makes total sense because suddenly the question isn't, is he on my side for Joshua? Joshua's question quickly becomes, am I on his side? He is the commander of the hosts of heaven. He decides the battles that we take. I need to be on his side. It's not for him to be on my side. And so Nicodemus comes and he asks this question, and Jesus gives him a spiritual answer, and he's getting stuck in the natural as an old man go back into his mother's womb type of thing. His truths don't initially make sense, and just as an aside, life encounter will unpack these, and obviously at Bible school as well, we spend a lot of time helping to understand specifically these past, this passage. And Jesus replies, and he said, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible? Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, you are a respected Jewish leader and you don't understand these things. In other words, these basic things. I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if and there's so many theological truths, I don't have time to get in all of them because this is all actually just still introduction. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe me if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned. But the Son of Man has come down from heaven. So he says, I can explain heavenly things to you because I've been, I come from heaven. No one else can tell you heavenly things because no one else has been there, but I come from there. And then the bit that I want us to focus on for this morning. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in Him will have eternal life. And here, when all of these other truths that Jesus was telling Nicodemus, Nicodemus wouldn't have understood. He clearly didn't understand this idea about being born again, about being born of the Spirit. These were all spiritual truths which he was completely confused about. But the moment Jesus went across to this passage, to this example, Nicodemus would have understood exactly what Jesus was saying. Because Nicodemus was a Jewish leader, he was a Pharisee, he would have known the Scriptures incredibly well, most likely would have been able to say the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, those five books, he most likely would have been able to say off by heart in the Hebrew language. And so Jesus referred to an example which we find right here in the book of Numbers, and in Numbers chapter 21, this is where exactly the story that Jesus is referring to when he says that he needs to be lifted up like this pole in this wilderness. So let's jump back and see what is this example. So the people of Israel, they were just about, as I was saying, like Joshua was just about to take them into the promised land. They're not quite there yet. They've come out of Egypt and they're sort of in this in-between phase and they sent out from Mount Hor, Mount Hor, which is the place where they've been camping, taking the road 
to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, but the people grew impatient with a long journey. Is anybody reference for that who's just gone to the beach with small kids in the car? Are we there yet? We drove just over an hour the other day to a place, a beautiful zoo type thing near Bella Bella. It's really fun. If you haven't been there, it's actually surprisingly worth a visit. And on the way there, it's an hour, three kids, probably 15 times in an hour. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? No, we're not there yet. How about now? No, this is like three seconds later. We're still not there yet. Does it look like we're there yet? And the frustration builds a little bit, maybe not in you, but in me as a parent. And that's exactly what these people of Israel do, except for them, it wasn't an hour drive. This was a 40-year journey. It was only meant to be 40 days. But they began to speak against God and against Moses, just like you and me and just like our kids. They get all upset. Daddy, it's your fault we're in this car so much. Why have you brought us out of the land of Egypt where they'd been slaves to die here in this wilderness, they complained. There is nothing to eat here and nothing to drink, which, by the way, was a big lie because when they're thirsty, Moses would go and he'd speak to the rock and water would come out. And once he hit the rock and he got in trouble, they had most of the livestock of Egypt they had taken with them. There was plenty to eat. And every single morning when they woke up, there was bread lying on the ground. They called it manna. Manna literally means what? Because the first time, I think the first kid, the early riser, got up early in the morning. He ran out, and he saw the stuff lying on the ground, and he collected it. He ran back to his mom's tent. He's like, what? And like, what? And since then, it's been called what? Manna. They are so loathes this worthless bread. I guess some of us, when we're walking in God's purpose in our lives, we become exactly like the people of Israel. We begin to complain and we say, God, your provision is not enough, Lord. Lord God, you're feeding us every day, but I'll reload your provision. God, we actually want to go back to slavery, is what they're saying here to Moses. They're saying, Moses, you brought us out of slavery, which I guess was a pretty nice thing, but now we're in this desert and being in the desert sucks. And they're complaining and they're moaning. So the Lord sent poisonous snakes among God's people, among the people and Many were bitten and died. Quick leadership lesson here. They've just complained. Moses, you're such a useless leader. Why did you bring us out of Israel, to, out of Egypt, so that we can die and something goes wrong? And what's the first thing they do? They run to Moses. And they run to Moses. And they cried out, we have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. And so Moses prayed for the people. And some of us, as we go through life, in this example, God himself sent the snakes. But you know, the world we live in, there's so many snakes. Christopher Renee was just telling me about her hero husband who chopped off the, the puff at his head. He was about to bite the child, and he, he came running in as a white, a white as a knight in shining armor with his blade and took out his axe. No, just there was a puff adder at the holiday home, and puff adder is no more. And... As we go through the world, there are snakes all around. And sometimes we want to blame snakes. I don't believe God needs to snake said God sends snakes into the world anymore. I think that's an Old Testament example. I do think there are more than enough real life snakes in our lives, snakes of depression 
and anxiety and cancer and snakes of broken marriages and snakes of hurt and snakes of poverty. So many snakes and addictions that bite us as we go through life. Maybe if you look back over 2022, there was a snake or two that bit you. There's a wound that is festering. There is something that went wrong. For some of us, it's 10 years ago or 15 years ago, and there's this wound that we've been carrying with us, this thing that happened. We were bitten. Maybe something a parent did or a parent didn't do or a a school teacher. It's amazing how often we speak to people still today in their 30s or their 40s, and they can remember not very much from school. They definitely don't remember any algebra, but they do remember that one line a teacher told them about you will never amount to anything. If you ever become something, I will eat my hat. I don't know why teachers always used to say that, eat their hat. But these wounds, these snakes that bite us as we go through life, this financial snake as we went through, made a bad financial decision. It's something that came and bit us, and this wound is there, and it's eating us up. And so Moses prays for the people, and and Jesus, the the Father, speaks to him and says, make a replica of of a poisonous snake and attach it to a pole. All who are bitten will live if they simply look at it. So Moses Moses made a snake out of bronze and attached it to a pole. And then anyone who was bitten by a snake could look at the bronze snake and be healed. And this is one of those crazy stories that don't make sense to our natural selves. But many of us have just come back from being on holiday. Some of us perhaps were camping. We've been camping. We forget that the people of Israel at this stage were basically in a perpetual camp. They were living in tents. And just like the first kid, the first morning, got up early and he was noisy and he was bugging the parents. And the parents said, just go outside, play outside somewhere. And he found the what and he brought the what in. They're living in these tents right next to one another. And you can imagine the snakes are there and they're in the tent. And eventually someone steps out of a tent and Christoph isn't there to chop off the tent, the snake's head with his spade. And someone steps on the snake and the snake bites them. And panic sets in. And maybe something stepped into your life and it's so easy for panic to begin to set into that because I don't know what to do anymore. Suddenly I don't have the answer. This is outside of my control. There is no way I can fix the situation. Eventually everybody's so scared they've gone into a self-imposed lockdown, locked themselves in their tent, zented up, sitting away from the side because there's snakes all over the camp and I'm not going anywhere where there could be a snake. And Moses says, hey guys, don't worry. And this logistics kind of my mind always tries to figure this out a little bit. We've got about 3 million people in a camp. That's a big township, staying in tents. And Moses somehow makes this bronze serpent, I don't know how big it was, and he puts it up on a pole so that everyone can see this pole. I wonder how high that pole was. Can I just quickly just interrupt myself here? It's amazing, maybe you, not me, definitely, how we think, sort of, I guess, in our pride, that we are more clever, maybe perhaps more evolved than generations that went before us. And I had this sort of thought in my mind that today's people are a little bit more intelligent than a thousand or two thousand years people. And I had this until about 20 years ago or so when they built the Millennium Stadium in Cardiff. 
and they built it around the millennium, just over 20 years ago. And I watched the documentary on how they built the stadium because they wanted to put a roof on the millennium stadium that could move so that everyone is always in the shade. It's not a closed roof, but the roof moves and there's always shade all the time. And the architects and the engineers sat with this thing and they fiddled and they couldn't figure it out. They had all their best computer-aided design, the best programs, the best engineers. They couldn't solve some of the questions that they needed to solve to make this thing work. So do you know what they did? They went and they fetched the building plans of the Colosseum in Rome because the Colosseum in Rome had a roof on it that could move so that everyone was always in shade. No computers, no fancy computer-aided design, no modern calculators and computers. They figured out how to solve this thing that we can't. And then I began to realize they built, probably the Egyptians, oh, these Israelites that we're talking about now, built the pyramids. We still don't know how they built the pyramids. And so when, sometimes when we read these, it's easy to think that these people weren't quite as clever as us. They were perhaps, maybe, just maybe, a little bit more intelligent than you and me sitting here. And so Moses finds a way to put this pole up really high. I don't know high. But high enough so that you don't have to work too hard to find it if you've been bitten by a snake. And then news goes out. If you've been bitten by a snake, just look up at the pole and you'll be okay. I don't know about you. I'm sitting in my tent. Someone shouts from the tent next door, hey, they heard Moses has put a snake on a pole. If the snake bites you, look at the snake on the pole. I'm staying in my tent. I'm not running out of my tent just quite yet. Maybe I'm opening up the zip in my tent and I'm looking out. Okay, I can see where the snake is because that's a really high pole, Moses. I don't quite know how you did that, but well done. There's a snake on a pole. I'm staying in my, pole, in my tent. I'm not going to test this. I don't know who the sucker is who's going to test it, but it's not going to be me. I guess eventually somebody has to go. The toilet knee just gets too much. <laughs> Maybe they're too hungry. I, I need to get out of it. Eventually, someone gets out and the snake bites them. And so they look up and guess what? They look down and it's hurt and it's bleeding. And they realize they're in trouble because they've had to bury some people recently who were bitten by the snake. And they look up at the snake on the pole. And they look down again. And guess what? The bleeding is stopped and the wound is gone. Don't know how it works. Don't know why it should work, except it does. Our medical profession still today believes it works because they all put a big snake as their badge on a pole. There's something about this moment, and Nicodemus understood this. And so Jesus comes, and Jesus says, I need to become a snake on a pole. Because there are snakes all over that are biting people. And just like Moses lifted up that serpent in the wilderness, so that whoever looks at, looks at the pole will live when they're bitten by a snake, I'm going to be lifted up. And just like the people of Israel were bitten by a snake, when I'm lifted up, if you just look at the pole, you're going to be okay. And the problem is most of us, we're still sitting in our tents and we're like, there's no ways I'm testing this. Because there's some more snakes out there. I'm staying here where it's safe. I'm staying here where I'm okay. I'm staying here where I'm not going to get damaged. 
And yet outside, Jesus is saying, you can live. You can get out of your self-imposed prison. You can get out of your brokenness. You can get out of that place where you're afraid of the next snake. You can get out of the place where you're lying in bed and you're busy dying and bleeding out and nobody even knows because you don't know what to do about it. Jesus says, I have that solution. Just look up at Jesus. We read, the author of, of the book of Hebrews alludes to exactly that same thing. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses, as Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 10 and 11, he's just gone through all of these great people of the faith, people who, and this is one of those passages that really freaks me out, because it starts like, yes, I love this passage. It speaks about Joshua and Abraham and Noah and Moses and all of these great people who accomplished great things. And then it says, and some of them were sawning too. And I'm like, no, that has to be a spelling mistake. <laughs> that part shouldn't be a no. They were sawning too because of their faith. People who gave their lives, people whose scripture says, this world was not worthy of them. And they were killed for their faith. And so often we think that faith is always going to save us from circumstance in this earth. Sometimes it's exactly our faith which puts us in circumstance in this earth. Stephen the martyr is a great example, the first one who was killed for his faith after Jesus. His faith didn't save him from death. On the contrary, his faith took him to his death. He was killed because he had faith. And once again, God's answers are different to the way we think of it because God doesn't think of this earth only. God understands that there's a whole world after, a heaven that awaits. It's a beautiful song, an old saying. Some of us may have heard that all of us want to go to heaven, but none of us want to die. And yet there's this bridge. We need to die to ourselves. But anyway, so there's this huge crowd of witnesses, which Hebrews 10 and 11 has spoken about. It says, they are watching us from heaven. They're looking at you and me. They are this crowd. I was so, so encouraged been watching some of the cricket the last while. Was anybody at Centurion Park yesterday? Well, see, next time we're going to make a plan and all go together. I wasn't able to go. My brother's leaving for Canada, and we booked for him to come and bry yesterday afternoon. And then I saw, can't he come a different time to bry so we can go watch some cricket? But just, it's so great seeing this stadium for the first time in years packed. And I think finally people are beginning to realize COVID is a thing of the past. We can pack out stadiums again, and we can pack them out for domestic cricket, which is even better. But anyway, so... These stadiums packed out watching a few people play. And that's what Scripture says. There's this whole stadium of witnesses surrounding, watching you and I play, if you want to call it that, live this game of life. And since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. How do we do this? We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. He initiates, he starts our faith. Our faith begins by us looking to Jesus. Sometimes we think faith is something that we must do. I must just have more faith. Let me give you some quick release 
good news, freedom around that. You cannot just have more faith. You can't wake up and say, I'm going to have more faith today. It doesn't work that way. I can wake up and say, I'm going to choose to believe Jesus today. I'm going to make a conscious decision to choose the word. I can say that. I can do that. But I cannot just faith into more faith. Faith isn't something that just comes. Faith, Scripture says, comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the Word of God. So if I want to grow my faith, I need to do two things. I need to grow my time in the Word, my understanding of the Word. I need to grow my reading of the Word, and I need to grow my experience of God. I do that by beginning to trust Him. I do that by little baby steps saying, I'm going to, Jesus, your Word says this, I'm going to choose to believe this. And as I do that, my faith and There are a whole bunch of different definitions of faith. I'm going to give you one maybe that you haven't heard before, but my favorite definition of faith. Faith is my ability to receive from God. That's faith. Faith is how much can I receive from God? If God says, am I able to receive what God says? Or do I question? Do I say, no, God, you can't? No, that's not possible. God, that answer doesn't make sense. So as I grow in faith, I grow in my capacity to receive from God. But you can't just make yourself faith more. You can't suddenly say, I'm going to wake up, I'm going to have more faith, I'm going to exercise more faith. No. How does faith grow? Faith grows by looking to Jesus. He initiates. Some more word-for-word translation speaks about authors. He writes the faith. God writes faith when we look to Him, and then He perfects our faith. I want to encourage us, some of us may have calendars or, or diaries up against the wall, 2023, you know, the diary is there, the calendar, the month that we flip over every month, big 2023 at the top, and this whole year that's ahead of us, I want to invite us to make a conscious decision to say, I'm putting Jesus above 2023. 2023 contains a whole bunch of things. Maybe some really exciting things. Maybe some challenging things. I see Jonah's here. They've moved to a new town, a new cities, new jobs, new places, new people. 2023 can have some really encouraging things, some really challenging things, some exciting things, some intimidating things. But whatever that is, whatever that potential snake is that might bite you, that might come and steal from you, that might be out to get you, Maybe it's just the the snake of confusion. The snake of despondency, of not being able to stand up again. The snake of depression, of hopelessness. Just a lack of confidence. Whatever it may be. I want to encourage you to just step out and be willing to say, whatever it is, I'm going to look to Jesus first. It doesn't make sense, just like Jesus' answers to Nicodemus didn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that if I'm bitten by a snake, looking at a snake on a pole is going to make it better. It doesn't make sense. The gospel is not meant to make sense to the natural faculty. The gospel is about Jesus coming to show us that He is different. And so those snakes that you might step on in the year to come. Maybe the snakes that you've stepped on in the year or the years past, the snakes that you've been 
carrying the snakes that have been all around. And I want to hopefully this morning encourage you just to be bold. Take that little step and say, I'm going to choose to believe Jesus here. I'm going to choose to look to Jesus. I'm going to choose to look to Jesus for my marriage or for my lack of marriage. I'm going to choose to look to Jesus for my career or my lack of career, for my finance, for my lack of finance. I'm going to choose to look to Jesus. And this doesn't make sense. There's no textbook which explains how this works. But I'm going to choose to believe that if the Son of Man is lifted up, that no matter which snake has bitten me, no matter what I'm going through, no matter what's sucking the lifeblood out of me, no matter what's making me fearful and scared, Jesus has this covered. But I must just look to Him. I must keep my eyes fixed on Him. I mustn't look to Google. We were, did an escape room in the week. It's quite fun. There's one here in Menlo Park. If you haven't done it, it's a little bit expensive, but it's fun. And you, they lock you up in a, a little room or series of rooms and lock the door. There is a little panic button to get out if you need to for fire or something. They explain to you nicely. I was literally locked in a little cage half the size of this bottom of this pulpit thing stuck in there. It's all part of the fun. And then you've got to find these codes to get out. It's, you've got an hour to escape the room. Otherwise, your skeleton heaps up with the rest. No. <laughs> After an hour, they, they let you out. I don't know how I got on escape room, got distracted now. Yes, but on the way there, there's a little locker, and they say, hand in your phone. Put it away in a locker. Your phone isn't going to help you in this situation. You can't Google the answer. You can't look it up, look for clues. I wonder how often in life we have found to run to Google for the answer. Nowadays, it's not even Google. Now it's chat GPT, you know. You can make anything. I wrote a little poem. I posted it on Facebook. I said, chat GPT. I said, write me a poem about load shedding in South Africa. And I wrote me a poem about load shedding in South Africa. And then I wanted to test this thing. Here's a confession. It's not a testimony, but I am impressed by it. Because it came out sort of middle December, and it was Christmas was coming up. And I said, chat GPT. I need a sermon for Christmas on Sunday. And then right, it was actually a pretty decent sermon. I didn't preach it. And I realized it was actually, the, there was actually sort of gospel message in it. It was actually this, this could actually work. And I, I wanted to screenshot it and, and send it to some of the other pastors and say, hey guys, look, life is easy now. And I messed up the screenshot because I didn't copy the whole thing, whatever. So I went back to ChatGPT. I said, ChatGPT, I need a sermon for Christmas on Sunday. And it wrote me another sermon. It was like a different sermon. And I was like, wait, this is pretty cool. Can you work in some Old Testament prophecy? And then I worked in some prophecies from Isaiah. I was like, that's cool. Can you flesh this out a bit? And it kind of the first one, it was just like bullet points, and then kind of it gives you word for word. You can just read it. The whole thing is crazy. But it's so easy for us to want to run to computers and technology and encyclopedias and chat GPT or whatever. Give me the answer. I wonder how often we're willing to stop back and say, Jesus, will you answer? 
Jesus, I'm, I'm wrestling here, and there might be a good answer on Google. It might be the answer that I'm, but I'm actually going to choose to ask you first. I remember when I, I studied healing, I, the guy who'd done a lot of work and research and had taught about it and gave me a set of tapes that he taught at some Bible schools around it and some books around it. And he, he tells the story, which always stuck with me, about his wife, who one day he came home and she was sitting with two pills on the coffee table. And he asked her, what are you doing? She said, I've got a headache. He says, the pills are on the coffee table. She says, I know. I'm giving Jesus the first chance to heal me. And I love that approach. I love that she was willing to say, Jesus, I know these pills will probably help. But I'm going to ask you first. I'm not going to be stupid and have a headache for the rest of my life because I'm too stubborn to drink a pill. But Jesus, I, I want to choose to believe that you can heal this headache. So God, I'm going to take a moment and ask you first to answer. Before I ask Google or ChatGPT GPT or whatever the next iterations. Apparently they do art now as well on AI. And my, sis my sister-in-law is an artist and she's like amazed at the depth of art that computers can generate. And you tell it you need a picture about something and it makes you a picture about something. It's really crazy. But what are we running to? What are we looking to first? In 2023, the challenges we're going through, the answer might not be in the next book or the next article or the next blog, blog post or the next podcast. Maybe the answer is simply by saying, Jesus, only you can solve this. And just to be clear, his solving might be, I want you to read this book. His solving might be that he sends somebody across your path who has the answer. It might be that he speaks to you divinely. It might be that he speaks to you through a person. The question is, who am I looking to as the source when the snakes bite me? When there are snakes running outside all around, am I too afraid to go out or am I confident that I can live my life? Because guess what? Some of us lose this over time. Life is meant to be lived. Life is not meant to be bound up in fear. Life is not meant to be locked away in a tent because there are snakes outside. Jesus says we will trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the powers of the enemy and nothing will by any means harm us. How many of us are living by fear? Scripture says anyone who fears is not being made perfect in love. There is no fear in God's love. I'm not saying be reckless. I'm not saying be stupid. Obviously, wear your seatbelt when you're in your car. Don't drive 200. Don't be ridiculous, but don't be so bound that we can't live anymore. Life is meant to be lived. And the key to living it is to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And then everything we do, everything we say, all of our purpose, all of our plans, all of it flows out of it. Because I'm looking to Jesus and he's writing faith on me. He's writing faith on me about this little mole snake which can't do damage anyway, but I'm still afraid of it. And who knows? Maybe one day I'll be able to walk past the black mamba and be okay. Because Jesus is stronger than my black mamba. My biggest fear my biggest worry, my biggest concern, my biggest hurt, my biggest pain 
Maybe, just maybe, Jesus is bigger and stronger and mightier than whatever this world holds. And as we look to Him, we keep our eyes fixed on Him. Whatever 2023, your 2023 calendar has got a lot of dates in it. A lot of appointments that maybe you don't even know about yet. Maybe some really bad days, maybe some really good days. Maybe some exciting days, maybe some days where you wake up and you're just like, today is just not my day. Those days are going to happen in 2023. But above all of that, let's learn the discipline of looking to Jesus. Can we stand? I'd love to pray for us this morning. Jesus, you are so incredibly good, Lord. And Lord, even if so much of the gospel, so much of these stories, Lord, so much of what you share with us, we feel like Nicodemus, and we're like, Lord, how is this possible? This doesn't make sense, Lord. How does looking at a cross heal us, or looking at a snake on a pole heal a deadly poisonous snake wound? Lord, how does looking at the cross where you died solve my confusion in my marriage and my struggles with my child? My studies, which I just can't figure out, Lord, how does looking at the cross, it doesn't make sense, God, except that it is true. So, God, we choose to believe your truth, Lord. For every decision, for every challenge, for all of the confusion that we may have, Lord, we just choose to look at you and say, let your way lead and guide us. Maybe you hear this morning and there are specific areas where you know that you need to look to Jesus and it's hard for you maybe to look to Jesus or maybe you just haven't looked to him yet. Maybe you've tried, it's a struggle. Don't you want to take a moment and just recommit in your heart to keep the cross of Jesus above whatever that thing may be, whatever the wound may be, whatever the challenge and the opportunity may be? To say, Jesus, you were lifted up like that serpent in the wilderness, and I'm going to look to you. Over my fear and my heartache, my disappointment, my depression, my confusion, my financial woes, my bad decisions, my failed friendships and relationships, whatever it may be, my physical health. I'm looking to you, Jesus. Would you come and write faith on my heart? Would you come and initiate and perfect faith, Lord. I want to look to you, Jesus. Lift my eyes up to you. Like the psalmist, Lord, I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from you, the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Jesus, come. And show us this year the power of the cross as we look to you in every area of our life. In Jesus' name. 
Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Christian Church. We believe that you enjoyed your time with us, establishing God's kingdom and His glory in your life. For more info, call us on 012-362-1363. Email us, pretoria at shofaronline.org. Browse our website, www.shofaronline.org. Or like us on facebook.com forward slash Pretoria.